Okay, the scripture this morning is from Acts 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in to each other in tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our, our own native language? Parthenians, Medes, and Alamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phygeria and Pamphylia, Egypt and other parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of our God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, What does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, They've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles wonders and signs which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the, the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, 
has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Thank you, guys. As uh, Sung Bin mentioned already, today is Pentecost Sunday. And so I, I just want to open it up just real quick. Um, what is the significance of Pentecost Sunday? What would be some of your thoughts and responses? You can kind of yell them out, blurt them out. Coming of the Holy Spirit. Birth of the church. And as was described in in Acts, there's some things that happened. Um, I I looked up Britannica.com, gave these two things. And and this basically is kind of what you guys have already just said. Uh, Two things. It says... uh, Pentecost Sunday, it commemorates the descent of the Holy Spirit on the apostles and other disciples following the crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. And then number two, it marks the beginning of the Christian church's mission to the world. So that's basically what you guys just said right here. And so I'm not sure exactly what's all in your mind of what happened during that day. Uh, The title of my sermon is Asked and answered, and that's going to refer to three questions within the scriptures that uh, the youth read today, and we'll get to those three questions a little bit, but first, um, a little history and review of the Holy Spirit in that day. Um, In the Old Testament, the Spirit of God was present, but we read of the Holy Spirit being given for a period of time. It wasn't a permanent scenario, it was a temporary period of time when the Spirit of God would come down upon somebody. So for Saul, in 1 Samuel 10.10, it says this. When he, Saul, and his servant arrived at Gibeah, a procession of prophets met him. The Spirit of God came powerfully upon him, and he joined in their prophesying. But a few chapters later, 1 Samuel 16.14, says, Now the Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. So the spirit didn't stay with Paul permanently. It came powerfully upon him for that time, and then it left. 
uh, and some additional times when the, or in the Bible when the Spirit came down. Uh, in Judges 3.10, we read of Othniel, the Spirit of the Lord came on him. Uh, in Judges 6, for Gideon, then the Spirit of the Lord came on Gideon. Uh, for Samson, uh, there's a couple of references. Uh, Judges 13.25, the Spirit of the Lord began to stir, of, stir in him. And then in 14.6, 14.19, and 15.14, all three times of Samson, it says the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. So those were not permanent scenarios, but something bigger and something permanent was being promised. A lasting spirit was prophesied. One that wasn't just going to come upon a person, but one that would be poured out, would fill an individual with God's presence. In Isaiah 44.3 it says, For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. Uh, Joel 2.28, this is a bit of what Derek was actually reading. I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And then even in the New Testament, Jesus in uh, John 16.13 says, when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. And so these scriptures are referring to more than just something coming upon a person, more than just a sprinkling. This would be an everlasting filling. Um, sons, daughters, even spirits, or as servants, will have the spirit of God poured out to them. And so those blessings occurred beyond and through generations. There's a lasting presence for that to occur. Uh, even for what Jesus referred to, to guide and teach, there's a lasting relationship, personal effect that needs to occur. God is making a commitment of indwelling his people. So in Acts 1, uh, Jesus had come after re uh, his resurrection, showed himself to disciples, and then he stayed for a 40-day span and he said this about more of the, the coming of the kingdom. So Acts 1, 4 through 8 says, On one occasion while he, Jesus, was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. But, but then for the disciples at that time, I, I've got to imagine, they're thinking, okay, when will this come and how long are we in, going to be in Jerusalem waiting? So there's something about timing here. And, and I, I find God's timing interesting. There, there's three things I want to refer to. The last one is going to be the, this Pentecost timing. But I, I believe sometimes God uses our events that we have planned to move. 
Maybe in ways that we're not anticipating, maybe in hidden ways. Um, think about baby Jesus. When was baby Jesus born? In the middle of a census. The government was moving, doing something. Well, God had something bigger that was occurring at that time. Um, even Easter, the, the Last Supper. We remember Jesus in the Last Supper being where he met with his disciples and they were celebrating the Passover meal. And the Passover was a celebration of the children of Israel making their way out of Egypt. Okay, so, so the Passover had occurred. They were celebrating Passover and during that week is when Jesus Christ went through the suffering, crucifixion, and eventually the process of rising from the dead, defeating death. So there's things that we have within our schedule that God sometimes has a little bit additional work that he's got planned for us. So I started the question or the sermon with the question, what is Pentecost? And here's one thing that I thought about. Prior to Acts 2, would the responses that you gave me even been on anybody's mind? Prior to Acts 2, Pentecost would have had nothing to do with the Holy Spirit. In the same way that the Passover festival, that Passover week, would have had nothing to do with Jesus' death and resurrection. Pentecost is actually the Feast of Weeks. It's 50 days after the Sabbath of the Passover week. So Pentecost is a celebration of the wheat harvest in Israel. And so that's why in verse 5, as the, the, uh, the MYF was reading, there was a crowd of people who heard the disciples speaking in various languages. They were celebrating Pentecost, and as they understood it, it was a celebration of the wheat harvest. But again, God had something more. He was moving with his timing. So he, again, even in our schedules, large or small, are we ready and willing to take time for non-scheduled interaction where God is ready to move? So my three questions. Question number one, and this question isn't actually part of the text, but it's been what happened? What happened on that day? And I, I want to state it in three, three steps right now that can be very commonly thought. Here's what happened on those days. First of all, there was a sound of the rushing wind. Then the tongues of fire appeared. And then disciples spoke in different languages. That's kind of what happened on the description of that day. And I've actually seen it. If, if you go online, sometimes you know, there's questions that people will ask on the street Okay, what happened in Pentecost? And really, those three things are kind of where some people will stop. There was a rushing wind, there were tongues of fire, and then people talked in tongues. We read 47 verses of text today. Those three things happened in the first four verses. And, and those are powerful things. Those are important things. But those last 43 verses are pretty powerful and important as well. So I, I would not want us to stop with Pentecost saying it's about the wind, it's about the fire, and it's about the language, and then stop and forget what that actually means. But so, so what happened 
But this, this is important. What are those symbols that are there? So looking first of all at the wind. The room was filled with the mighty sound of wind. Uh, the disciples would have been familiar with the Exodus story of how God had caused the wind to blow, opening the sea. Children of Israel could walk through on dry ground. That was a powerful wind that God controlled. Uh, in Matthew, the disciples would have actually been in the middle of the experience of Jesus calming the wind in the middle of the storm. They would have also been familiar with Amos 4.13, which begins saying, he forms mountains and creates the wind. And then the end of that verse says, the Lord of hosts is his name. In Jeremiah 10.13 says, he brings forth the wind from his storehouses. And in Ezekiel 37.9, talking about the breath, Ezekiel spoke to the dry bones to bring them to life. Say, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to, the, to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, breathe from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. So, so wind was something that the disciples understood to be powerful, but under God's control. So as humans, we don't control the wind. We can see the effects. We try to harness it. We, we have windmills. We have wind turbines, wind farms. We fly kites. So we'll use the wind, but we don't control it in any way. God controls it. And we can't even see the wind, but we can see what the wind does. So the disciples would have understood this idea of the sound of a wind being God being very powerful and present in that setting. With the fire, the tongues of fire. Fire was a symbol of the presence of God and purification. Uh, in Exodus 3.2, Moses looked into a burning bush that was on fire. The presence of God was right there. The children of Israel were led by a pillar of fire at night. In Psalms 104, and then restated again in Hebrews 1.7, uh, there's a combination of the wind and the fire. It says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. In Psalm 66, 10 through 12, David writes, For you, God, tested us. You refined us like silver. You brought us into prison and laid burdens on our backs. You let people ride over our heads. We went through fire and water, but you brought us to a place of abundance. So again, the fire, the disciples seeing the tongues of flame would have recognized this is God's presence directly with them in the room. So, so that room was filled with sound, with sight, the sound of the wind, the sight of the fire, and there would have been no doubt in the disciples' mind God was coming right then. Um, in Luke 3.16, John the Baptist foretold, says, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to tie, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So after Jesus had told the disciples to wait, they would have been anticipating, when, when is this Holy Spirit going to be coming? And when this occurred, I have to believe they would have been looking forward to this time 
and fully recognized, here's God. Here's the Spirit. This is what Jesus was talking about. And then for the languages, the speaking in tongues, one thing I find interesting is the people in the street would have had no clue about the wind or the fire unless the disciples would have told them. The people in the street would have heard the languages. And in verse 11, it says, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. So they heard the language. They heard God speaking. Um, the, the wonders of God, they even recognized that is what they heard being spoken within their own tongue. So, so they were hearing, in, in cases, possibly the gospel of Jesus for the first time from individuals that did not speak their own language. They would have been in a situation where they were anticipating not hearing their language. Tower of Babel created different languages, confusion. But it makes it a whole lot easier if everybody talks one common language, right? Okay, here's an opportunity. The people in the street may not have ever heard the gospel story. They may not even have known anybody who could speak the gospel story in their own language. So they had no opportunity to hear God's goodness. But they did now have an opportunity because the spirit was moving in other individuals. So, so they heard the words of God being spoken in a language that they knew and understood. And their attention was drawn. Their ears and their hearts were open to hear. That was one of the songs we just sang. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. So that's what happened. There was a language that now could be spread. The word of God could be spread in a way that it wasn't available prior to that. So here's question number two. And this is part of what the crowd asked. What does this mean? They, they heard the language, but what does this mean? And what followed then was Peter standing up and giving a history lesson, reciting from Joel the prophecies of the coming of the Spirit of God. Peter also quoted David and identifies the lineage of descendants for David and how Jesus fulfilled that lineage. So he tells the gospel story in pretty direct and short process and answers this question, what does this mean? Pretty short and quick in verse 36. He says, God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. So you ask, what does this mean? God has made this Jesus, Lord and Messiah. So I, got, I want to expand on four things. What does that mean for us? What does that mean for them? Well, first of all, Pentecost and, and all of this means that the Holy Spirit who came in the Old Testament times to empower God's servants in times of need has now come to live within our hearts and every believer in Jesus Christ. That The temporary scenario is no longer. The Holy Spirit is here to stay. He's come to live within us. Uh, John 7, 37 through 39 says... Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. 
Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. And a little bit later, John 14, verses 16 to 17, Jesus said, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. So the Old Testament prophecies were being fulfilled. What John the Baptist and Jesus had foretold about the Spirit was coming true. It, it was happening right then. The Holy Spirit has come and is here to stay. And that's something that we want to recognize and claim. Second, Pentecost means that God's power is available to enable every believer to live the Christian life on a daily basis and serve God effectively. We're, we're called to be different than this world. We're called to be willing to suffer for the word of God. This world does not like to suffer. If we get attacked, we attack back. That's what the world does. We're called to be holy. We're called to be courageous. We're called to love. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul writes, Therefore, if anyone is, Christ, is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. In Zechariah 4.6, we read, So he said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. So the Spirit of God empowers believers, able to respond beyond our own will, beyond our own strength, to act in love as God would want us according to his will, not mine. And as we go out, it, it's not a process of, well, just try harder. We, we can do that. Well, try harder means that I am doing it on my own power. I need to release my will. You need to release your will. And allow the spirit to work. We're called to serve God, not man. We should look different than the world in how we react, how we respond in the midst of conflict, how we live out our daily lives. We can't be afraid to be different, to look different because of what Jesus has done for us and the Holy Spirit living in us. And it's not on our own power. The Spirit will provide power and might and wisdom to be a new creation in Christ. The Spirit will provide those answers. Third, Pentecost means that Christians are not isolated units for worship, but are joined together as members of one glorious body for fellowship, the church. Now we said the church, this was the beginning of the church. We were made for fellowship. Fellowship with God, fellowship with one another. This is where the church of God began. As a community of believers, fellowshipping together. We were made for fellowship, we were made for relationships, we were made for supporting one another, encouraging one another. The church of God is called to challenge and encourage and complement. Not, not with an I, but with an E, complete one another in faith. This is a bit of what Wes was referring to last Sunday with the gifts. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 13 says, Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its parts form one body. So it is with Christ. 
For we are all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. 1, Corinthians, uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.11 Therefore encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. Hebrews 3.13 echoes that. But encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. And as we go out into the world, it is so easy to become hardened by what the world is saying, by our human responses, we're called to encourage one another so that we aren't hardened by what this world is doing to us if we allow that let the spirit move the church is us living together under the spirit of God and fourth Pentecost means that the gospel is for everyone and that anybody anywhere may be saved by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ Um, Acts 2.21, part of what we read, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That was a statement made. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now, we read Acts 2, and Acts 2 basically records how the Spirit came for the Jews. If you go later into Acts 8, There's record of how Peter and John went to Samaria and believers there, the dreaded Samaritans, received the Holy Spirit. And even going to Acts 10, that records Peter going to the house of Cornelius and the Holy Spirit came to that household to bless and minister to the Gentiles. So the gospel of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit is available for everyone. Jesus Christ suffered and died for all of our sins. He is Lord and Messiah. That's what that means. And then finally, question number three is asked, was asked by the crowd in verse 37. And this had been after hearing Peter's history lesson, lesson um, after hearing the declaration of Jesus being Lord and Messiah, says the people were cut to the heart. And the question they asked then is, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter's comment to that, and Sung Bin kind of emphasized this with his statements, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all the Lord our God will call. And, and Peter had warned them, Peter was pleading with them, I don't think Peter was bopping them over the head and scolding them. He was pleading for their lives. Repent and be baptized. Every day I'm called to repent. That means I'm called to change, to live out my life differently than what this world is expecting daily. I need to give up my selfish ambitions and I need to be ready to change. Again, from what this world is expecting daily. I need to give up my will, and I need to be accepting God's will. And that's not easy to do every day, day in, day out. But the promise is given that the Holy Spirit is here to assist and help and empower that process. Repent and be baptized. 
Change your ways. So, so back then, how did the people respond? Well, about 3,000 were added to their number. It grew. They were given a challenge. I mean, that, that was not a, an easy request. Repent and be baptized. 3,000 responded and were ready to do that. Peter spoke with the leading, the wisdom, and the love of the Spirit. And when that happens, people listened and hearts were changed. Lives were changed because those individuals made a commitment to God that day. They embraced the power of the Holy Spirit at that day. But they weren't done. Lindsay finished with the last verses, 42 through 47. The start of church activity. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. They fellowshiped with one another in the spirit. The church began and then the church grew because it didn't just take one day and stop with the celebration or recognition. It continued to grow. It accepted the movement of the spirit. Now we celebrate the birth of Jesus on Christmas. But many times we're reminded that the Christmas spirit should go with us and through us throughout the entire year. Being compassionate, being generous. Christmas is not just that single day. We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus on Easter. But a month and a half ago, I was up here talking about Easter, and I emphasized and encouraged us, claim that power of the resurrection every day. Claiming the power over death, freedom from sin because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So that Easter process should be a daily thing we take through every day of our life. And so what about Pentecost? Do, do we fully celebrate Pentecost, or is it kind of one of those days that we, we recognize, but we're not celebrating the same way? Um, the Holy Spirit coming on the day of Pentecost, that's pretty big news. Now, do we take that with us, though, as well? The Holy Spirit is God living and moving in us and through us. We read about the creation story. We read about Noah and God leading him and guiding him, building an ark. Um, Abraham was listening to God and stopped in the process of sacrificing his own son. David, in his defeat of Goliath, listened to God's leading and call. Daniel in the Den of Lions says, God shut the lion's mouth. Jesus in all his teaching and all his healing Saul and the resurrection story, all of these are scenarios where God was interacting with his people, with his children. Those were direct interactions. And I, I think we embrace those stories. We read those stories. We're encouraged by those stories. God was interacting with his creation and with his beloved people. So Pentecost should not be just simply a single day that we look at any different than Christmas being a single day, Easter being a single day, and we don't apply that the rest of the way through our lives. I mean, I think we all believe and understand we're called to live out our life daily. But since that incredible day, Pentecost is more than just the Feast of Weeks. The Holy Spirit is God. He is here on earth today interacting with us, speaking to us, ready to empower each and every one with his wisdom, the wisdom of God, 
the grace and mercy of God. It's Jesus Christ being active in part of our life, in part of our individual life, but in part of our church life as well. So the real question then for us is, will I be ready to allow the Holy Spirit to change me day by day and empower me day by day? Am I willing to be born again, claiming the power of the Spirit to be a new creature every single day? So when I wake up in the morning, um, I guess maybe what I'm asking you to do is think of all three of these things, Easter, Christmas, and Pentecost. They all work together. We're called to be active, to be empowered. There's a song from 1977. Yeah, I'm going way back. Called Rushing Wind. And some of you may be familiar with uh, Keith Green. Some of you maybe not. Keith Green was a contemporary Christian songwriter. Um, He and his wife wrote this song in 1977 called Rushing Wind. At the age of 28, Keith Keith Green died in a plane crash in 1982. He and his wife had three children at the time with one on the way. Two of Keith's children were with him on the plane and all passed away. So his wife, Melody, was at home with a one-year-old child and and, uh, six weeks pregnant with their fourth child. Keith and Melody wrote this song, Rushing Wind, together. And I want to read the the verses to it. Rushing wind, blow through this temple, blowing out the dust within. Come and breathe your breath upon me. I have been born again. Holy Spirit, I surrender Take me where you want to go. Plant me by your living water. Plant me deep so I can grow. Jesus, you're the one who sets my spirit free. Use me, Lord. Glorify your holy name through me. Separate me from this world, Lord. Sanctify my life for you. Daily change me to your image Help me bear good fruit. Every day you're drawing closer. Trials come to test my faith. But when all is said and done, Lord, you know it was worth the wait. Jesus, you're the one who set my spirit free. Use me, Lord. Glorify your name, your holy name through me. Rushing wind blow through this temple, blowing out the dust within. Come and breathe your breath upon me, for I've been born again. We all can be weighed down by many different things that happen through our lives. The Holy Spirit is ready and waiting to blow through our temple. I think next week, Sung Ben's going to be talking about our body being a bit of the temple of God being used. Blow through this temple. Get rid of the dust, the things that I'm not doing, the things that I could be doing. Let me recognize those things. Breathe your breath upon me. I've been born again. So what does this mean? This is what the crowd was asking. What does this mean? Brothers, what are we to do? And I think that the scripture speaks to it, but two words in this song resonate with me. 
Daily change me to your image, Lord. Help me bear good fruit. And then also use me, Lord. Glorify your holy name through me. Asked and answered. Now, I invite the the group to come forward. Our closing hymn is God is here among us. And the songwriter is Gerhard Terstegen with a German reformed writer and hymnist. And I want to read a a, a bit of an article he wrote about the Holy Spirit. Again, he's the guy who wrote this song. But let me read this. He wrote, when the Spirit enters into the heart, he fills it entirely so the world finds no more room or place in it. Again, it says, so the world finds no more room or place in it because this guest makes himself sole Lord and master of it. The first disciples and believers were so entirely taken possession of by this blissful dominion of the Pentecostal spirit that they were no longer masters of their own tongues or any other member. They were compelled, as it were, to speak, even as the spirit gave them utterance. They could not long speak according to their own judgment, knowledge, and learning. No, They were constrained to do and speak as the Holy Spirit would have them. Thus it is with everyone with whom the Holy Spirit takes up his residence. He then experiences the blissful dominion of our Lord Jesus Christ in his heart. He takes possession of all our will and desire, all our actions and deportment, all our inclinations and affections, and makes us entirely subject to him. He dwells in our hearts like a king in the realm of his palace. He ordains and accomplishes in us that which is pleasing and acceptable to him. He creates in us another principle and beginning of life. He becomes the soul, as it were, the life of her life. He renews her daily more and more in the image of him that created her and forms her into a temple of truth and righteousness, yea, to a living temple of God in Jesus Christ. All the glory of earthly kings and princes are only vain shadow and and child's play compared with the single Pentecostal heart which is deemed worthy of receiving the spirit of Jesus Christ in such plentitude. Come Holy Spirit.